0: If you will turn in your Bibles to the seventh chapter of the book of Ezekiel as we continue our study through the word. Now, you'll remember that Ezekiel had been called to be a watchman uh, from the nation, and he was in captivity there in Babylon. Jerusalem had not yet uh, fallen, there were still the Jews that were in Jerusalem, so partial captivity had taken place, and there were the false prophets that were declaring that the Babylonians were going to be overthrown by a a coalition of the Egyptians and the Jews together, and and that those that were in captivity would be coming back uh, shortly, and, and and God was the one that was declaring that this was a judgment upon the nation, and and you will remember that there were the four dramatic signs that uh, that He had given, and and then afterwards we see that there were these two sermons. Uh, first sermon last time we saw was uh, the word of the Lord. It came to me and and it really dealt with the reason for the judgment. And that was the idolatry. It was the cause uh, for the judgment. Uh, and in this seventh chapter here, uh, we are going to see that this really now is going to talk about the, the nature uh, of that judgment. And so, Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel. And so this message began in the same way that the uh, that the last one did. The word of the Lord came to him. And and it says in verse 2, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land, and now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. So once again, we see that God is telling them that the judgment is going to come upon the nation and this is from uh, the Lord. We see Ezekiel's message was the to the end of the four corners of the land. And uh, so this was a, a, a prophecy directed uh, not to the four corners of the earth, notice, but to the four corners of the land. And so this was to the nation of uh, Israel. We see that once again that she was to know that God is The Lord over all. We see that He is going to repeat this again at the uh, end of the sermon. They had lost their way with God, they had become guilty of. Profound idolatry that had entered into the land. You remember that at Mount Sinai, the first commandment is to uh, love God with all your heart, to have no other gods uh, before you. God is a jealous God and, and the nation was his special people that he had set apart. He had brought them into the land. He had told them, do not enter into the pagan idolatry of the nations that they had driven out. To, and that they were to be faithful uh, unto him. But now we see that their hearts had strayed away from God and, and now they had become confused. They were bowing down to Ashtaroth Poles. They were worshiping the, uh, the moon and the sun gods. Idolatry had entered into the land of where they had become confused uh, as to who is the true uh, and the living God. And so God says, when I drive you out of the land, as he had promised them, when God brought them into the land, he said that if you keep my statutes, if you keep my covenants, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will go out with you. I will come back in with you. But if you... Follow after false gods. He says, then I will spit you out of the land. I will take you out of the land that I have brought you into. Here God says that he's going to show them that he is who he says that he is by taking them out of the land. And this judgment now is going to come from God himself. He says, thus says the Lord God, verse 5, a disaster, a singular disaster. "'Behold, it has come, an end has come, and the end has come. "'It has dawned for you, behold, it has come.'" And so uh, here we see that you know that Ezekiel is kind of like that uh, that runner that is uh, bringing news that is uh, out of breath that has run to get the message into the city uh, here. And so uh, he is warning of the approaching calamity that uh, that destruction is uh, on its way. And so uh, we see that he first proclaimed the uh, disaster. He said an unheard of. Disaster is coming. What was about to happen to Jerusalem had no historical parallel and no historical precedence. Disaster had been predicted by Micah, by the prophet Micah, and that had been predicted some 100 years ago. God had remained faithful, giving them opportunity to be able to repent, to turn away from their uh, adulterous uh, sin, to turn back into God. And we see that there were periods of of brief reforms, and there were some times of some uh, outward cleansing of the nation, but there was not the heart that had turned into god. And so uh, we see here that uh, that this disaster now uh, is being heralded uh, by Ezekiel. He says in verse 7, "Doom has come to you, you who dwell in the land. The time has come, a day of trouble is near, and not of rejoicing in the mountains." we see that he is declaring that there is a a time of destruction and doom uh, that is uh, coming. He says, not of rejoicing in the mountains. The rejoicing in the mountains, that speaks of uh, the joyful times at the harvest when uh, they would take in the grapes and the vineyards would be harvested and there would be those great times of celebration, great times of enjoying the goodness and the fullness and the fatness of God's uh, blessing. He says it is not going to be a a time of rejoicing on the hillsides, the hillsides that God had brought them to, the hillsides that flowed with milk and uh, honey. But now no longer were they going to be privileged uh, to enjoy the abundance uh, that God had brought them to. Instead, God now was going to bring a judgment for their disobedience. And so, he says in verse 8, Now upon you I will soon pour out my fury and spend my anger upon you, and I will judge you according to your ways, and I will repay you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst. And then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. We see here that uh, Ezekiel is repeating now the, uh, the theme of this impending doom or calamity. We see that verses 8 and 9 are, are almost an exact repetition of verses uh, 3 and 4. And so the destruction is going to come. Uh, as uh, predicted, uh, and those affected would know that the Lord is the one that had um, struck the blow. We see here that uh, that the Lord has many names. Jehovah Jireh, the God who um, provides. We see Jehovah Shalom, the God of um, peace. And But here we see that his name is Yahweh Makah, which means uh, the Lord who strikes uh, the blow. And so he is the one that is going to bring the judgment. You will remember that the nation of Israel there in Jerusalem had the temple. And the temple was the presence of of God. And so the people in Jerusalem felt that God would never come and allow anybody to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the place where he dwells. And so the people in Jerusalem were confident in that. And what God was saying is, no one is going to come in and destroy. I am going to bring the judgment I am going to be the one that brings the the army in. When the army that I call comes, I will not fight them. And I will not defend you on their behalf. And you will know that I am the God that strikes. And so they they had accepted all of the blessings of God. They had received the the grace, uh, His presence, uh, His protection, and the abundance. uh, But uh, they had never, in their own hearts, been faithful unto God. And so, they never thought that they would be judged by God. Even though God had declared it, and even though God had sent prophets, and even though He had given them the warnings... They had discounted and disregarded the warnings of God. It is so important in our life not to disregard the warnings of God. God is a loving God and God is a gracious God and God is a merciful God until the time that he brings judgment. And then when he brings judgment, he says, my judgment is going to be without pity. My judgment is going to be in the fullness of my wrath. Think about Noah. And how God calls uh, Noah to mm, build an ark. God is going to bring judgment uh, upon the people. But uh, Noah preaches to them. For some hundred years, Noah is mm, preaching. He is preaching the opportunity for them to be saved. He is giving them an opportunity to come and to uh, enter into the, the ark. And we see of all of the people that Noah preached to, Not one person received that invitation to get into the ark. Uh, No doubt uh, Noah was the uh, the end of an awful lot of jokes uh, from that giant ark that he was building in the number of years that that he had built it. And we see that God's uh, grace of continuing to invite them to turn away, to enter in, to be saved. And and we see uh, that they did not respond. And then there came a day. When Noah and his family entered into that ark, and that ark was sealed. And once that ark was sealed, then judgment came. And there was no abating the judgment at that point in time. And the fury entered in and the whole earth was flooded over. We see that God is merciful, and God is kind, and God is loving, and God is uh, forgiving. But there also comes a point where judgment uh, enters in. And we see that God declares that, that when you bring me all the way to judgment, when you have refused my kindness and my goodness, when you have not listened uh, to my call for you to turn uh, from the direction that you are in, then you are going to experience uh, the judgment uh, of uh, God. And so uh, here we see the uh, the Jerusalem was now ripe for the judgment that God was going to bring against it. He says in verse 10, Behold the day. Behold, it has come. Doom has gone out. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. And violence has risen up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their multitude. None of them. Nor shall there be wailing for them. The time has come. The day draws near. And so we see here that just as the the rod has blossomed now, the time has been chosen for that destruction to come. He says the, the time has come and the day draws near. He says in verse 12, Let not the buyer rejoice, nor let the seller mourn for the wrath is on their whole multitude. And so here, the buying and the selling of land. It is interesting, you remember how the land had been divided to the tribes uh, and God had given those partitions to them. And when you married, you were careful to keep the property that was a, a part of your family. When you had to sell land, Selling land meant that you came upon terribly hard times, and now you were selling the families and possessions. There, there was no joy in the selling of uh, land. Today, you know, it's much different. You sell your house. You're like, hey, I got a buyer and I sold my house. It's like, woohoo, and that's a, a celebration. But here we see that in their day to, to sell the farm, to sell the family farm, to sell the family inheritance uh, now. He he says that that there will be no mourning uh, over the selling of the uh, land, and, and there will be no rejoicing over the buying of land. Now, when you didn't buy land, they were given the opportunity to be able to redeem it, to be able to uh, buy it back. But uh, here we see that uh, that there was to be no rejoicing uh, over it. Why? Because destruction is coming and they're not going to be able to redeem the land. And those who bought it aren't going to be able to enjoy the land. Why? Because they're all going to be taken into captivity and all of Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. It says in verse 13, For the wrath is on their whole multitude, for the seller shall not return to what has been sold, though he may still be alive. For the vision concerns the whole multitude and it shall not turn back. No one will strengthen himself who lives in iniquity. And so we see that uh, the property is uh, is not going to be able to be bought and sold as they all are going to uh, enter into uh, exile. Nothing was going to remain uh, of uh, value. The property, their possessions, their material possessions, when uh, they are taken into captivity, the Babylonians will take all of that from them. Uh, and so uh, all of it would end up uh, going to uh, Babylon. It says in verse 14, they have blown the trumpet and made everyone ready, but no one goes to battle for my wrath is uh, on all their multitude. So Remember, the Babylonians come up and they lay siege now to Jerusalem. And, and so inside, the, the people ran into the city to take refuge. They could blow the trumpet, but they weren't going to march out against the, the Babylonians that now had them surrounded. There were those that flee to the hillsides to, to go and to escape. It says in verse 15, the sword is outside. And the pestilence and famine within. Whoever is in the field will die by the sword. And whoever is in the city, famine and pestilence uh, will devour them. And so, as the Babylonian army came uh, up, anybody that was outside of the walls they um, killed with the sword, and uh, and there were those that that fled, a remnant uh, got away to the, the hills. But uh, the people that then ran into Jerusalem, thinking that they would be safe within Jerusalem, the Babylonians uh, sieged them with a a vicious, vicious siege starvation entered in the famine was absolutely tremendous to the point where things completely deteriorated with uh, inside of the city they were without food and finally it ended up that they resorted into cannibalism that uh, occurred and and the horrors by the time that the babylonians did break uh, through the people were in no condition to resist uh, whatsoever. The Babylonians met with uh, no resistance. Disease and famine uh, had destroyed the people from within. It says in verse 16, and, and those who will survive, who survive will escape and be on the mountains, like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, each for his iniquity. And so the the mourning doves, the way that they have that cooing, that mourning sound, it says that those that had fled and had escaped, they are just going to be uh, lamenting and mourning over the circumstances and, and recognizing that it was their own iniquity that had brought this upon their heads. Every hand will be feeble. And Every knee will be as weak as water. And they will also be girded with sackcloth. Horror will cover them. Shame will be on every face baldness on all their heads. So once again, remember that Ezekiel is in Babylon, and he is with the, uh, the, the captives that are already there. And, and he is prophesying about what is going to happen to those that are yet still there in, in Jerusalem. And He is talking about mourning over the sackcloth and the baldness on their heads. This was uh, a sign of lamenting, great disaster. It, it, It was to mourn loss and to mourn the dead. And so shame will be on every face as now Jerusalem has been defiled. Jerusalem has been destroyed. It says they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be like a refuse. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them. In the day of the wrath uh, of the Lord, they will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became their stumbling block uh, of iniquity. And so and here again, the things that, that had been so important to them, Silver had been important, gold, wealth, and, and collecting up their treasures. But you remember that Jesus told us that we're to store up our treasure where? And store up our treasure in heaven. They had stored up their treasure here upon this earth. And, and how big is my pile of gold? And, and how big is your pile of gold? Well, do you know what? There came a day when it didn't matter about your pile of gold. There was no food to be bought at any price. And so everybody's money became absolutely worthless as they were just seeking now to be able to survive. God had blessed them with an abundance, had brought them into the land that flowed with milk and honey. And yet they would not worship God. They would not keep their eyes uh, on the Lord. And they started to chase after everything else in life in order to fulfill themselves rather than in loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, uh, and strength. You remember that when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? That's the exact uh, commandment that he gave. Keep your heart fixed on God. Love him with all uh, of your heart and search after him. And so here it says that they had chased their gold and their silver and it wasn't able to deliver them. It says it will not satisfy their souls and there was nothing that they could buy when, uh, when you had the Babylonians encircled around you. It didn't matter whether or not you had the newest piece of furniture in your house. It didn't matter what you were going to purchase and what you had been saving your money up for and what all the plans were. There surrounding you was the Babylonian army. And they just uh, waited ominously as they just slowly choked the life uh, out of the, the city. And then what good was your money? What good was your silver? What good was your gold? It says it doesn't satisfy your soul. In fact, it says you couldn't even satisfy your stomach with the silver and the gold because it became their stumbling block of iniquity. As for the beauty of his ornaments, he set it in majesty, but they made from it the images of their abominations. They're detestable things, and therefore I have made it like refuse to them. I will give it as plunder into the hands of strangers, and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they shall defile it. And I will turn my face uh, from them, and they will defile my secret place, for robbers shall enter it and defile it. He's talking now that Israel's sin is so uh, ingrained in them and has accumulated into the place where uh, now God is going to allow even the most holy of holies to be overrun uh, and to be destroyed. We see that that God had declared uh, here that he is going to turn his face from them. That he is going to give the spoils of Jerusalem to the wicked uh, there upon the earth. And so he is going to use the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment against Israel. And all that he had blessed them with, the spoils of them, he is going to send those uh, to these wicked uh, strangers. Ultimately, he says that they will defile my secret place, the Holy of Holies. The holy of the holies where no one was allowed to enter in except the high priest. And he was only allowed to go in one time a year and make atonement for the sin of the nation. And here God says that I am going to let robbers enter into that holy place and they will defile it. He says now make a chain." For the land is filled with crimes of blood, and the city is uh, full of violence. And therefore, I will bring the worst of the Gentiles, and they will possess uh, their houses. And I will cause the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. And so chains were used to bring the children of Israel into captivity and into Babylon. And so he is declaring, Make a, a chain, it is going to be used. The land was filled with crime and violence, and, and there was great division. It was unbelievable. Chaos in the streets and riots were taking places and society broke down. Babylon, a ruthless, a, a cruel nation, was chosen by God to and taken, to be the ones that evicted Israel out of the land that God had brought them to. And so their holy places now shall be defiled. <coughs> What does that mean? Jesus is talking about the fact that they had set up shrines to these false gods. And they were bowing down and worshiping uh, to these uh, holy shrines there uh, in the land of uh, Israel. Uh, And so uh, here God says that uh, their holy places are are going to be defiled and, uh, and they will be destroyed. Destruction comes, verse 25. They will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor will be upon rumor, and then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. And so, Israel felt confident that they could never fall, but when now they realized that, uh, that they were in great danger. They were aware of their fate. It was going to become too late. They would seek to find a way to make peace, but there would be no way to, uh, to make peace. And then they would run to the prophets. Then they would come and say, can God help us? Is there uh, a word from God that can save us uh, now. But there was no word for the calamity was a judgment from God. They would run to the law that God had given them, to the priests now. Is there there anything in the uh, word of God now that can save us? They would run to the council of the elders and, and so everybody running around, but it was too late. The king will mourn. The prince will be clothed with desolation, and the hands of the common people will tremble. I will do to them according to their way, and according to what they deserve, I will judge them. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. We see that because there was no help from God and the king, Ezekiel said that that they would then uh, mourn, that the hands of the people of the land would mm, tremble. And so here we see that uh, God again said that their punishment would be mm, according to their conduct. And uh, and this again, we see he mentions five uh, times uh, in this uh, chapter. And ultimately he says that at the end of the judgment, what? He says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. You see, they had lost sight of that. By bowing down and worshiping worthless uh, idols, uh, eyes they have but they cannot see, ears they have but they do not hear. Uh, And yet the children of God had gotten so lost, that they were worshiping uh, after these uh, false uh, idols. We see here that that in chapter eight, uh, Ezekiel now is going to be given this uh, vision. He is going to be brought uh, in this vision from Babylon by the river Chedar, where, uh, where the elders and, and where he was uh, in captivity there in Babylon. And he's going to be brought to Jerusalem. And God is going to show Ezekiel the extent uh, of the idolatry that had entered uh, into uh, the nation. It says in verse 1, and it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord fell upon me there. We see that Ezekiel now mentions the, the specific time. It was in the uh, the sixth year. and uh, And so this is about... Uh, 14 months, a little over a year after Ezekiel's call, when God calls uh, Ezekiel uh, to be a prophet, he's in his house with the elders of Judah. And uh, and so uh, here we see that uh, the hand of the Lord uh, comes upon him. They had probably gone to uh, seek after counsel or advice, possibly even on the fate of uh, Jerusalem. And and the vision now was God's answer, which Ezekiel most likely reported to them. He says, then I looked and there was a likeness, like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and downward fire, and from his waist and upward, like the appearance of brightness, like the color of uh, amber. And as Ezekiel there is sitting before the elders, suddenly he sees a figure, one like a, a man. We see that this is a, a theophany, a, a manifestation of uh, God. It says from his waist down, just fire. From uh, from the waist up, it was like glowing metal. Now, God doesn't have the body of a man, but his appearance was merely a a figure like uh, that uh, of a man. And he stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair. And the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court, where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy, and behold, the glory, the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. And so we see now that that God extends this form like a, a hand and and he is brought uh, now mm, to Jerusalem to the uh, to the northern gate uh, here we see that he's transported in the spirit in other words his physical body was still back there in, in Babylon but uh, in the spirit uh, uh, he is uh, there and ezekiel is uh, lifted up between heaven and earth and and transported now to Jerusalem and then he said to me son of man Lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was the image of jealousy in the entrance. And so we see here that Ezekiel now calls it the the idol of jealousy. We see that that this was an idol idol that was uh, set up there uh, within the uh, temple uh, itself but this is probably a, a, an Asheroth that was uh, 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 the, the, to, the, to the goddess Asheroth. She was the Canaanite and fertility goddess. And we see that King Manasseh had placed a carved image of Asheroth in the temple during his reign. Later on it was uh, removed. And, and after Manasseh's death, an Asheroth pole found its way back uh, into the temple itself so i want you to imagine that the holy temple of god now in its gate has this uh, altar to asherah this people come and god is now showing ezekiel this and saying look look at what my people uh, have done even to the temple itself It is one thing to have the Asherahs all on the high places and the mountains and in the groves and and wherever it was that they would set them up, but to bring and set it up in the temple of God. And so we see here that that God now is, uh, is showing him these things. Furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away uh, from my sanctuary. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that God is showing this idolatry, this adultery that's taking place. So uh, I want you to imagine the, the image of what God is showing him. It says, this is, uh, this is my wife. Uh, and yet, uh, now we uh, we see that uh, that there is now this adultery that is taking place, and and it's taking place now within my own home, within my own house. It's one thing to depart and to commit adultery; it is another thing to set up right in my own house. And so. We see here that God says that this is what is causing me now to depart. I will withdraw. I I will leave this place. God chose Jerusalem to be the place on the face of the earth where he would dwell with man. Where his nation, his people would come and worship him and he would protect and bless and, and provide for them. And now we see that in the very temple itself, we see the Asherah is is set up and being worshipped there. He says, to make me go far away from from my sanctuary. The abominations of Israel were causing Jehovah now to withdraw from his own house, from his sanctuary. Now turn again and you will see greater abominations. Almost hard to believe that that he could show Ezekiel a greater abomination than worshiping an Asherah there in the temple. And so he brought me to the door of the court. And when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there, there was a door. And so the, uh, the, the door of the court was outside of the in gateway, and uh, Ezekiel saw a, a hole. He said, dig, and then there became a doorway, and then he, he enters in through the doorway. And he said to me, go in. Go in through that door and see the wicked abominations which they are doing there. And so I went in and saw, and there, every sort of creeping thing abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around uh, on the walls. And so here we see that that now... uh, he is uh, entering into the uh, the storeroom there underneath the temple and, and there are all of these pornographic carved images of uh, all of the uh, the pagan fertility goddesses and and all of the uh, unclean detestable things and remember everything was either clean or unclean and and here is a room that is filled now with with every single unclean thing that you can eat. Even possibly imagine. It says, and there stood before them seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jazaniah the son of Shaphan, and each man had a, a censer in his hand, and a, a thick cloud of incense went up. Ezekiel was being shown what was inside the minds of the leaders how polluted the inside of their hearts were, the the thoughts that they had, and the idolatry that was inside of them. Man looks at the outward, but God sees the inward. God sees every single one of our thoughts, and and you know what? On the outside, you you, you can look healthy and whole and, and all, but God sees all of the pollution that you take in. He sees all of the pollution that you allow into your eyes. He sees all of the pollution that when no one is looking and no one is watching that, that you're listening to. He sees all of the things that you mm, think about, that you mm, hold on to. He sees the secret sin that nobody else mm, sees. And here he shows Ezekiel. Now the 70, you'll remember that they're representative of the leadership of the nation. Remember Moses and, uh, and how when uh, he was led the people into the promised land that he started to judge the people and the, uh, the lines became so long that from morning to, to nighttime, Moses is there by himself. And, and Jethro, his father-in-law says, Moses, you, you're going to kill yourself if, if you try and, and be the only judge in, in all the land. And and he prayed and, and God then you know, raised up 70 judges and, and that became the, the basis of the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the 70 leaders uh, of the nation. Here we see the 70 leaders and Ezekiel sees uh, inside their minds, inside their heart, what God sees. And outward they walk around like they're Holy. And out on the outside, they they walk around and and they're saying their prayers at the prayer time. They're praying before mealtime. They look on the outside like they have a good relationship with God. But on the inside, God knows the inside. God cares about the inside. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be set apart. Unto him, He wants you to be separated from the world and the pollution of the world. He doesn't want you diving into it and partaking of the things now that, uh, that the world is partaking of. This next generation, you have access to things that no other generation has had to. Wickedness that is a click, a tap away from you. And no one can be watching over you 24-7. But know this, the God that made you watches over you. Know this, that he sees every single thing that comes across your screen. He knows your temptations. He knows what you come back to later on. And he is calling you out of the pollution of this world. He sees your heart. He loves you. He created you to bless you and to have you to rise above this and to come out, that he might bless you with an abundance of life that you can never even begin to imagine. The plan that he has for your life is so far above anything that you can imagine. But just like the nation of Israel, he beckons you to be faithful under him, to enter into that relationship with him where you are loving him with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength. And so the God who sees in secret lets Ezekiel now see what God sees. And this is the leadership of the nation that has utterly and totally polluted themselves uh, in their thought life, in their minds, and, uh, and with their hearts. He says, then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land, And so, mm. here we see that God explains to uh, Ezekiel that, uh, that the elders thought that if they get away with their sin, then, uh, then no one knows. And, and God won't mm, see their sin. And here is God speaking to Ezekiel, showing them, I see all of their sin. I see all of their sin. They're saying to themselves that the Lord doesn't see us and and they're saying that that the Lord has forsaken the the land. And he said to me, turn again and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. And he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Now, Tammuz is the is a Babylonian god is taken Semiramis was the mother Babylon was the false worship of the world you remember how they had built the uh, the Tower of Babel there. And, and from there, they entered into false uh, worship and set up a, a, a competing worship system to the true religion, the true salvation of Jehovah and the plan of redemption. And so uh, there was this god, Tammuz, who was supposed to be born of a virgin, Semiramis, and Semiramis and Tammuz were uh, were worshipped uh, and together. And, uh, and Tammuz was out hunting, and uh, and he was uh, killed in a hunting accident, and ends up uh, now going down into uh, Hades. There, and his uh, his sister, Ashtar goes and mourns for him and mourns for him. And and, and finally, then after all of her mourning, Tammuz is raised back again to life. But uh, Tammuz is only allowed to be on the earth six months a year. And then six months a year, uh, he has to go back down uh, into uh, Hades. And uh, and so the six months of winter are the time that uh, he is down and not Hades, Hades, is but into the afterlife uh, there that they uh, had. And so those six months is when it's cold on the earth and things don't grow and it correlates to the winter solstice and, and all. And, and then he would return back in the spring and resurrect again. He would resurrect in the springtime at the, the summer. So it's the spring solstice uh, now, and everything turns green again. And and that was Temuz. But uh, when Temuz departs uh, and goes down, there is the the weeping. That was the religion that you would weep uh, for Temuz because now he has to uh, go spend six months uh, in the uh, in the afterlife uh, there and. Uh, and, and so now what was happening uh, was that the Jewish women uh, were weeping for Tammuz. It was that in holiday now uh, where they all wept because he is now going to depart. And here are God's people and God's women that are now uh, weeping over Tammuz uh, who has departed now uh, from them. And so... Ezekiel is being shown. God is showing them, "Look at what my people who are called by my name and who are to worship me and to worship no other are now shedding tears and weeping over Tammuz's departure." And so, verse 15, then he said to me, "Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again. And you will see greater abominations than these. And so he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. Now these, in uh, 25, these were representative of the priests. And you remember that the priests would enter into the priestly courts. And, and now, here what they have, the priests of God have their backs and turn to the Holy of Holy, and they're looking to the east, to the rising of the sun. And the priests are worshiping toward the east. And so... Here we see that those commissioned to serve God turned from Him to worship nature. And He said to me, Have you seen this, O Son of Man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? for they have filled the land with violence. And then they have returned to provoke me to anger. And indeed, they put the branch to their nose. He says, is this a small thing? And God is showing why he brought judgment upon them. After he had sent the prophets, after he had called them to repentance, after he had warned them over and over and over and over again. He says, Did I destroy Jerusalem over a trivial matter? Was it just one day that I had a bad day and now mm, suddenly Jerusalem gets uh, wiped out? Is God a fickle mm -mm, God? And he shows him what has broken his heart and how his people have been unfaithful. He says they have filled the land with violence. He he says, and and indeed they put the branch to their nose. And that's an expression that means that they they put their nose up. They snubbed God. They snubbed all of the outreaches of God. And therefore, He says, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I I will not hear them. And so, here we see that God says that a a last minute desperate effort on on their part to get God to to hear their cries now would, uh, would do no good. And so the the stage now was set for the judgment that was going to come. It is amazing to me how long-suffering God is with each and every one of us, that He is willing to forgive all of our sins. But God also warns us And he gives us warnings and he gives us warnings and he gives us warnings that he will bring judgment. And then when he brings the judgment, that judgment was brought on by ourselves. And so God is gracious until the time of judgment. God is merciful until the time of judgment. God is long-suffering until the time of judgment. But know this. That God will appoint a time for judgment. That he will allow it to go this far and no farther. And then he will bring his judgment. And so we have the incredible loving heart of God. He shows their sin, their wickedness, their idolatry. And his desire to reach them and to love them and to care for them. God's desire for each and every one of us is to reach us, to minister to us, to bless us, to touch us. You remember how the religious leaders in Jesus' day, you remember how Jesus said, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. And they hadn't murdered. He says, but I say to you, if you've hated in your heart, that's the trajectory sin of murder. See, God is all about heart. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. They hadn't done the external final act. He says, but you've been lusting and burning in lust, and that is the trajectory of it. And so outwardly, you look good. Outwardly, your friends think you're clean. Outwardly, you look right. But God doesn't look at the outward." God looks at the inward. He says, I want you. I love you. And I want you to get real with me. And I want you to be faithful and I want you to love me in return. And I will forgive and I will wash and I will cleanse and I will uphold and and I will sustain. And so, may tonight, words may may God be showing us his heart towards us his kindness his goodness his mercy but also may we examine our own hearts is there anything that God is trying to warn us about has he been speaking to you and, uh, and talking to you and convicting you of, uh, of things? That's what he did with the nation of Israel. He, he sent them warnings. He sent them prophets. He, he told them, I love you, turn. And when God warns us, we want to be responsive to that. We want to mm, turn mm, away, lest we bring judgment uh, upon ourselves. God's desire is to walk us into a life of incredible blessings. But those blessings are there for the obedient, not for the disobedient. And we can look like we're obedient on the outside and be disobedient on the inside. God is the one who knows. But His desire is to keep walking you forwards into a deeper, richer, and fuller more blessed uh, relationship with him than you can even possibly uh, imagine if we will respond to him. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. We thank you, Lord, for your love and how long-suffering and kind you have been. In all our lives, you have been faithful. In all our lives, you have been so, so good. And so, God, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you would just help us to turn away from anything that has our attention this day that isn't pleasing unto you. And God, that you would bless us, forgive us, draw us nearer to you. And Lord, may we see your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.